listeners, this podcast is about you, not us. And so to that end, we're interested in what you think, your ideas, your thoughts. And so please share them and send them to info at I'm there for you, baby. On this episode of I'm There For You Baby. I have key technology, but my genius is not happy. Scott Chisholm is the co-founder and executive chairman of Classy.org. Why does giving need to be so hard? And we saw a gap and we kind of went after it. More? You, You want more? It's about moving people around on the bus to optimize the result for Classy and our customers. You live longer if you're charitable. So, uh, Barbara? We're clapping. (laughs) It's a grand slam. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. I'm There For You Baby is produced in San Diego, California, America's finest city. Presented by HyVN. Welcome, listeners, to another edition of I'm There For You Baby, the Entrepreneur's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm Neil Centuria, co-host with Barbara Bree. My bride, partner, co-host, and uh, conciliary. So, listeners, let me tell you what's on my mind. It's kind of interesting. We have Scott Chisholm coming up, and he was working at a large company, Booz Allen, consultants, big shots. And he comes up with an idea, and he eventually spins it out and goes off on his own and makes it. So, what's interesting to me is a a client, somebody comes to me and says, I have key technology, but my, my, my genius is not happy. So what interested me was in the case of Scott, he had to go outside. Booz Allen can't run a startup, a technology startup. And it wasn't particularly technology per se, it was a passion. So he went and spun it out. But imagine if you have a company and you got a genius and inside this company, the genius says, you know, I account for X percent of our total revenue. I'd like more. This is the famous Oliver Twist when he when he looks to 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 the uh, to the guy at, in the kitchen and says, "Can I have more soup?" And and the line is, "More? You you want more?" So the interesting thing is the difference between a spin out and a spin in. And so the answer is, when you're a big company or a medium sized company and you have something great inside. And remember, the key to companies is your talent. They walk out every night at five o'clock. They come back in, you hope, at 8.30 in the morning. But that's your company, is the people who leave and come back. So you want to retain talent. And one of the ways to retain talent is to acknowledge economically, not just a profit percentage, the contribution that they can make in the specific. If you think about geniuses, it isn't that they want necessarily more stock or a higher salary. What they want is to create. So if you create an environment, uh, an agar in which they can create, you will be the beneficiary of it. And that's what we saw. Barbara? Yeah, Neil, I think what you've said is relevant to every organization. Uh, People want to be appreciated for their creativity in nonprofits, in small businesses, big businesses, and even in, in government. A key theme of I'm there for you, baby, is that today everyone needs to think like an entrepreneur, whether it's in your own business, a large company, a nonprofit, and uh, even government. What our guests have in common is the willingness to ask tough questions, to challenge the status quo, and to think in new ways. Our next guest, Scott Chisholm, 
is the co-founder and executive chairman of Classy.org, a San Diego software company that helps nonprofits raise money online. Something we take for granted today, but something that was not so common just a few years ago. The company recently announced big news, raising $118 million in capital and Chisholm stepping down as CEO to become executive chairman. Scott, welcome to I'm There For You, Baby. Thanks for having me. Great, Great so, to be here. So please tell us about your background and the origins of Classy.org and, and how the name came about. <laughs> sure. Uh, Classy actually started as a passion project to raise money for the American Cancer Society because my mom had cancer when I was growing up and everyone I was living with at the time had also been affected by the disease. And we were trying to figure out how to get involved. And we ran into... Uh, I'd say friction in the process. It wasn't as easy as we would uh, have liked it to be at the time. And so rather than doing sort of the events and fundraisers that were listed on their website, which didn't really speak to us as 24 year olds, 24 year olds living in Mission Beach at the time, um, we decided to do a charity pub crawl of all things down Garnett Street and just collect cash and give the money to them afterwards. And when we were coming up with the name for this pub crawl, uh, the movie Anchorman happened to be on in our apartment and he says that catchphrase, you stay classy San Diego. And my buddy Pete turned to me and said, well, why don't we name the pub crawl the stay classy pub crawl? Never thinking in a million years it would go anywhere but that, a simple fundraiser. But we ended up raising a thousand dollars and I, I remember calling the ACS, the American Cancer Society up from my Booz Allen office. That's where I was working at the time. And I said, I was all excited. I said, we plastered the town with your logo. We raised a thousand dollars. And the woman on the other end of the line actually got mad at us for hosting an unsanctioned event and, and ultimately made us go to the very events we were trying to avoid just to give them the check. And so we left, we left kind of that you know, experience thinking, why does giving need to be so hard? And that question is actually the same question we're asking you know, over 10 years ago or 10 years later, I would say, um, from that initial experience. And from there, we, we really just, you know, partnered with nonprofits in San Diego to try to bring young people into the fold, make giving more accessible, more fun. And eventually that snowballed into a technology platform that helped us power our own fundraising events locally. And then we opened it up to every nonprofit in the country so that they can basically do their own online fundraising. So, so how long between the initial pub crawl, which you did as a passion project, probably at the time, never thinking this was going to be a business, you, you know, you were working at Booz Allen, a big consulting firm. How long did it take to get to Classy becoming a business and who helped you along the way? Yeah, uh, too many people to name that helped us, that's for sure. Um, but we, we actually launched the initial fundraiser in 2006, and then we became a technology company in 2011. So it was quite a long time. This was a very organic and sort of drawn out story. Um, because when we first started, we, we had no idea about the technology vision or, or, or what we would end up doing. But it was really one step at a time and learning kind of the pain points of fundraising initially, and then eventually understanding the pain points that development directors, which are basically the head of fundraisers of nonprofits, what they were experiencing their day to day, uh, and how they were having trouble reaching the next, the next generation of donor. So it was really like kind of a long drawn out story, but we launched as Classy the Tech Company in, in January, 2011. So it's been so exactly 10 years. Who were your co-founders, the, the group that started this, and what was the very first money? Sure. So our co-founders, um, actually, my main co-founder was a gentleman named Pat Walsh, who was uh, my friend from college. We went to the engineering school together at the University of Massachusetts. 
Uh, and then two of my other co-founders were local San Diego, um, you know, folks that we had met, one that helped us code the first, you know, application that we were building, and then one that helped us design it. And then our early couple, you know, employees from there were folks from Booz Allen. In fact, they're still there today. Most of the first top 20 people at Classy still work there, believe it or not. So you and we stole have about them. 250 you, people. So you, uh, you, yeah. had, so you had worked with them at Booz Allen. You knew they were good <laughs> and you uh, stole them away. And, and where was your first money from and who, who provided that? The first money in was actually from my buddy Pete, who gave us the name Stay Classy. Uh, he had actually, um, his dad had passed away from brain cancer and he used some of the inheritance money to invest in the company. And then he went off to go to business school. So he didn't actually join us as a co-founder, but he was the first seed investor. And then we went through the Connect Springboard program in San Diego. And our next investment was from a seed, a seed investor or, or one of our advisors from that program, Steve Smith. And so really that program did a lot for us. It was a significant investment. It helped sort of, you know, help us evolve our business model from, you know, fundraising events to an actual technology company. And then it actually provided the initial seed funding too. So what inspired you along the way? Any particular individual or book sort of in terms of helping you make the transition from a consultant at Booz Allen uh, to running a software company? I think I was um, enamored by the potential of the internet generally. Um, I didn't necessarily see myself as a software um, CEO or entrepreneur. I think that the sort of the digital revolution was something that captured me in college and then, you know, through my uh, time at Booz Allen. And it just, it felt, you know, the, the, the gap in the nonprofit space, um, space felt rather stark. Um, and it felt like even with no experience, even as, you know, people working at Booz Allen and, and whatever, um, that we could potentially throw our hat in the ring and make a difference. And I think, you know, they say it's better to be lucky than, than, than good. Um, and in this case, timing was really fortunate too, because the, the nonprofit space was really just kicking off kind of their digital movement, if you will. And, and we happened to come from the, through the lens of the supporters. So we were millennials ourselves. I mean, I'm, I'm probably the oldest millennial there is, but you know, we were, we were sort of, you know, kind of one foot in that world and one foot in the traditional world. And I think that helped a lot too, because we expected the experience, the experience of giving to be different, to be digital, to be mobile, um, to be more accessible. And we saw a gap and we kind of went after it. In, in five years, does Classy get sold, get bigger, go public, continue? Because uh, when you raise a hundred million bucks, the private investor has some expectation of getting some of it back within 15 to 20 years. So what, what does it look like at the next board meeting? Yeah, totally. Let me let me backtrack a little bit, and I'll I'll circle back to that one. You know, our our financing history, which might be interesting to to, to people listening, the first five million into the company was from all angel investors. So no institutional investor would touch us because we were supporting nonprofits. They thought we were a charity ourselves. They didn't understand what a social enterprise was. They didn't understand how you could have a business opportunity working with nonprofits. So it was extremely difficult for us to actually raise money from any institutional investor. We were very fortunate to. Um, bring on a collection of, of angel investors led by three successful entrepreneurs who were later in their career who also were you know, really into philanthropy. In fact, one literally called us up out of the blue from Texas and his foundation uh, had granted money to a charity who was then using Classy's technology. And he said, I thought it was just awesome. Are you guys looking for angel investment? We're like, yes, please. <laughs> wow, so, I love that so, story. I mean, that is like the, the epitome of an angel investor. 
And then we built an integration with Salesforce um, and their CRM and marketing products, and they decided to invest in us. And that was really when things kind of changed because of that business relationship. Institutional investors were like, well, if Salesforce is taking this market seriously, maybe we should too. And that, that's uh, powerful. And, that's powerful. Yeah. And then the whole world changed and then business itself started changing. People started to look at their company and say, well, we should probably have a social and environmental purpose. You know, we're not just all about profit making. The B Corp movement started rising and all of a sudden the market we were in became very relevant. Corporations were looking to partner with nonprofits. Nonprofits were looking to increase their technology. Everything starts moving digital. And so that really gave us the tailwinds to attract more capital from a, from a financing perspective. So, so what do we do with $118 million and what's the expectation? Um, honestly, the vast majority is going right into product. So we're going to double the size of our engineering team. We're at 85 engineers now. We're looking to build a product organization that's around 150 or so. We believe that's the biggest, uh, we believe this is the biggest financing in the nonprofit technology space ever. And we also think we'll have the largest product organization in the nonprofit technology space as well. And so with that comes high expectations, not from necessarily the investors, but they'll, you know, they'll have expectations too, for sure. But, but our customers, you know, how do we deliver this money in terms of uh, through our product and into their hands so that they can do more on the programs and the impact side? I mean, that's really what our mission's all about. Um, in terms of exit, you know, I, we, we're, we're not, we don't sit around obsessing over like IPOs and things like that. I think we've always been uh, long-term oriented. So it's, this is a, we never were in this to flip houses. We're not raising money to then go sell it to someone. I think it's, we're trying to build a big durable business that's built to last. And I think our perspective hasn't changed. I think the 118 million gives us a lot of ammo to, to operate for a long time. So who are some of your customers, Scott? Yeah, so we work with like the smallest of small nonprofits that, you know, have one staffer here in San Diego, all the way to some of the biggest uh, nonprofits in the world. Um, an example would be Salvation Army. So Salvation Army uses us, um, all of them, 8,000 chapters of Salvation Army across the country use Classy to accept their donations, to run their peer-to-peer -peer and crowdfunding campaigns, to manage their recurring givers. Um, so that's a great example. We also work with um, uh, Feeding San Diego and many other great San Diego-based organizations as well. Um, so it's kind your, of all... one, one sec, Scott, this is really, it's a terrific story. And I started by saying that you're one of the icons of the young Turks in this town. I've known you a long time. I have nothing but admiration. The basic business model I'm gonna assume, but I'll ask is you take a small amount of what you raise and they get the rest or is it subscription or is it, what, how have you evolved your, what quality, I'll call it the business model. Our business model is very similar to Shopify, if you're familiar with that. So it's, it's subscription um, plus a uh, earned fee for performance, if you will. So a transaction fee. And the way that we do it is, depending on the size of the organization and the amount they raise online, that determines their price. So it's kind of like a ratio. We try to keep their costs down as a percentage of their overall fundraising raised. And that's what our clients want as well, because they try to keep their overhead down. They're usually coming from traditional forms of fundraising, though, where, you know, they, they'll pay a dollar to make a dollar. So they'll literally pay a dollar to make a dollar because they're betting on the second and the third and the fourth donation coming in. In our world, they're paying us pennies on the dollar. So the efficiency of the online channel is through the roof it's from an ROI perspective. Yeah. It yeah. is fabulous. And what I loved what you just said was a little guy as a percentage, that was brilliant, pays less. And American Red Cross, they can afford to pay. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, so, and they'll they'll pay us a proportion of you know, their overall fundraising raise, but it'll be pennies on the dollars compared to the other channels they're they're you know they're also doing. Fabulous.
So what has been the impact of COVID-19 on your business? That's a great question. So COVID-19, it was a very interesting and tumultuous year. Uh, and when COVID hit and really spread in the United States, giving kind of stopped for the first time, maybe in history. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy to, to, to look at because if you chart giving over the last hundred years, it's one of the most steady and consistent and resilient markets there is. It, it basically keeps growing even through recessions. Uh, it doesn't have the volatility of the stock market. Uh, and it's, it's quite impressive. When COVID hit, it literally, like we saw giving just kind of halt for a couple of weeks. Like people didn't know what to do. It was like they were getting their bearings. And then all of a sudden it started roaring back. So what 2020 proved to us was that people give through recessions, they give through personal hardships, and they give through pandemics. And in the beginning, it went mainly to COVID relief organizations. So a lot of the hospitals doing test kits. We work with most of the, oh, let me just retry. We work with most of the major hospitals across the country. We work with the food banks. We work with organizations like World Central Kitchen, who is providing uh, lunches and meals to the front. Uh, line workers. And so that's where a lot of the funding went. Now, what happened was the tried and true community foundation or charity in like, you know, the San Diego local community or otherwise, um, their funds started drying up because a lot of the attention was going to the COVID relief as, you know, as front of mind for everyone, of course, right? And so they started to get in trouble, especially the ones that were re relying on physical events for their fundraising, the galas and the races and the runs. Mm -hmm. And so they started pivoting. They started doing things like virtual events. They started doing virtual telethons. They started doing all sorts of different things on Classy that really, I think, helped save them, um, frankly. And I don't want to take all the credit. It was their creativity. But when they were forced to move digital, you know, a platform like Classy was, was the bridge that helped them go from a really troublesome situation to, you know, in some cases, a, a better situation than when they started. Like a lot of nonprofits had record years last year that were not in the COVID relief um, field. And so that's pretty incredible. And the year ended on a high note. It was one of the, you know, I think one of the biggest giving years that we've seen. And the percent of giving online was, you know, monstrous compared to prior years, which is also awesome. Well, it's wonderful to hear that people are generous, especially when it's important. So in the, uh, when the company announced that it had raised 118 million, it also announced that you're stepping down as CEO to become executive chairman. So why is that happening? How do you feel about it? Yeah, I feel great about it. Um, I'll tell you why. Uh, you know, this was designed by myself, and I think it was just a self-awareness moment. You know, I knew there'd be come a day where it, it, we would, I would think to myself, or, or you know, come to the conclusion that there's probably someone else that is better suited to take Classy from where we're at today to where we need to go tomorrow. That doesn't necessarily mean that I need to leave the organization or not have a significant role. And that's what the executive chairman role is. It's not like a cool title. It's a full-time role and I'll be working on Next Horizon product development. I think I'm a builder at heart and I wanted to work on not what Classy is doing today on the roadmap, but what we might do in a year to two years time and contribute that way. And the gentleman I brought in, Chris Himes, he's been involved in the organization for almost seven years. He was one of the first advisors and investors. Then I recruited him to the board. He was our independent director. And then I recruited him in as an operational role. He probably didn't know I had this in mind, but it ended up working out. Uh, and we're, you know, co we were co-pilots then and we'll be co-pilots now. I just, it's about moving people around on the bus to optimize the result for Classy and our customers. And to me, it felt like the right time. And, and he had the right experience having come from Fair Trade, which is a great nonprofit, and as an executive as, at, at Salesforce. Wow, what a great background. Um, is there any last uh, thought you'd like to leave our listeners with? 
you know, I think our journey has been, you know, up and down and up and down and up and down, like every entrepreneurial journey, I think. And you read about things in publications like TechCrunch, and it can get very um, disheartening for the small entrepreneur. Even when you read articles like Classy Raises $118 million, like I used to read those articles and go, we'll never ever, how in the world would we ever get there? You know, so just keep in mind, like you just keep plugging away keep persevering every single day and, and, and amazing things will happen because we were definitely in a position where those articles seem like fantasy land. Uh, and we just kept working our butts off and, and, and here we are. There is extensive literature that says you'll live longer if you're charitable. So I support what you do both, Barbara and I, of course, we have a foundation, we give away money, but I know I that I feel better when I, give either time, talent, or money. What you do is great, and it makes people live longer and live better. I, nothing but applause. We're, we're clapping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, thank you, Scott, for sharing your very inspirational story with us. Uh, San Diego's fortunate that you're here uh, and that you're helping nonprofits all over the world. I appreciate it. I'm Scott Chisholm, the executive chairman and co-founder of Classy.org, and you're listening to I'm There For You, Baby, the entrepreneur's guide to the galaxy. Scott's story is terrific for a lot of reasons. One is it was organic. One of his family members had cancer. That's what drove him to start. He then had to overcome the kind of craziness of nonprofits. I know for a fact, I tried to give money to Doctors Without Borders. They wouldn't accept it. They had rules. You had to be this, you had to be that. They literally made it hard to write them a check. So he overcame that. And then he said between 2006 and 2011, it was sort of interesting until it became a company. So imagine, just imagine that he had gone to Booz Allen where he was working and said, you know, I want to do a startup and this is what I want to do. Would you like to be part of it? They would have turned him down. He had to leave, had to go off on his own. I admire it. He participated in the springboard. Connect helped him. The entrepreneurial, quote, ecosystem in this town supported it. It's a grand slam. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And he is a great example about how our ecosystem here can uh, support the growth of new companies. I'm very proud that I started the Springboard program when I was at Connect because uh, we were trying to figure out a structured way to work with startups. Uh, and Scott is, you know, an icon and uh, what they're doing at Classy benefits San Diego and nonprofits all over the world. Listeners, uh, if you have a suggestion for our show, please email us at info at I'm there for you, and tune in next week for another edition of I'm There For You Baby, The Entrepreneur's Guide to the Galaxy. Thank you for listening to I'm There For You Baby, presented by IVN. I'm There For You Baby is produced in San Diego, California, America's finest city. The COVID-19 vaccine was tested on over 70,000 Americans, including a significant number of African-Americans. Among them, doctors, bus drivers, first responders, cooks, nurses, moms, dads, teachers, and preachers. 
The COVID vaccine can protect our community from the virus, especially those with underlying medical conditions. The only question is, will you verify and trust? Me?